Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1984 film Ghostbusters Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm ready. And today we are joined again, once again, by the brilliant uh, gentleman who does a podcast on the classic 1979 film Alien Minute by Minute, Mr. John Engel. John, how are you doing this evening? Doing great again tonight. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's a real pleasure of us to, to have you on because we're huge fans of Alien Minute and uh, the, the what you guys bring to the Minute by Minute uh, podcast format over there because you guys really look at Alien through kind of the filmmaker lens. Uh, we, you know, we, we try to do some of that over here, but I think sometimes we just revert to like fanboyism in a way, but I think you guys really keep it like clinical and educational over there, uh, on that show. So, uh, for folks out there who maybe haven't heard of Alien Minute, uh, could you give us a quick rundown of where they can find out about it? Yeah, you can come over to alienminute.com, check us out there. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Um, we're pretty far into the run, um, about four weeks left, I guess, by the time these episodes come out. So, uh, you know, you can, it's an evergreen podcast, so you can always go back and just start at the beginning and listen all the way through. Awesome. Well, as, as sad as we are to see it go, you know, we're, we're glad that you guys have done it and really appreciative of the hard yeah, work and, y'all put and in. To put some emphasis on that, I'm glad that you guys have done it. I don't know that anybody else would have been able to, uh, to treat it with, you know, the same class and enthusiasm that you guys have done. Cause clearly it's fans of the movie, but it's, it's like Kyle said, it's got that intellectual touch that, uh, alien, has to have. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been uh, it's been a hell of a show. And for anybody who isn't familiar with it, go seek it out. Trust me. Be, be, be it a fan of Alien or not, you're definitely going to get something out of it. So, John, have you guys had done any sort of like crossover with uh, the guys over at the Perfect Organism podcast? I don't think so. I'm trying to remember. There's so many different podcasts and uh, sites, blog sites and so on. Yeah. That it's hard I, to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. I kind of run into them. We haven't done a show or anything with anyone else uh, mm. about Alien. But there's definitely some really good resources for information out there about Alien that we've, you know, uh, run into. I've run into on Twitter um, and then used as a resource for research on the show. But no, not as far as anybody doing a podcast. Hmm. Okay. When I first got into like the alien side of the internet, I considered myself to be a huge fan. And then I was immediately blown away and humbled by how much information there is that people have collected out there throughout the years. Uh, For example, I never knew anything about Aspen beer when I first started looking into it. And then you realize like they had created this whole like mythology about what kind of beer they were drinking in space. And uh, I'd never seen the design or anything for it. But um, and the difference between you know, Wayland Utani and Wayland Utani. Mm-hmm. You know how there was a difference there. So, um, yeah, you know, honestly, I never did either. I, I I'm a big fan of the movie, but as a movie, like I've never before doing this podcast that we're doing, I never looked that deeply into the details the way I do Star Wars or Star Trek or even Indiana Jones and, and properties like that, where I've I've read novels and I've you know dug deep into magazine articles and looked into the wiki pages and all that. And, uh, but digging into Alien, I, I kind of didn't realize they had gone so deep with the details and I didn't know anything about the Aspen beer yeah. before we started the show. So yeah. I'm definitely not one of those. I've said it a million times on our show that I saw Aliens first. Um, I've always been a little behind on the Alien thing because of my age, but Mitch, Mitch is right in the wheelhouse of people that he was collecting the magazines that had articles about Alien before the movie came out and was excited mm-hmm. to see it. And I have friends his age that they all still have those magazines and they all know every detail and who the model makers are and all that kind of stuff. And I'm always like, well, I, you know, I love to talk about the filmmaking, but this is <laughs> it's really cool that there's people out there that know all these details, too. 
Yeah. Alien is definitely one of those. It's like we've addressed the fact that Ghostbusters has its lore and its universe and everything that you can go. It's not too in your face. It's there just enough for you to go explore if you want. But Alien is even more subtle. Yeah. And if you want to, like, if you see Aspen Beer and you're like, man, I'd love to try that. Let me uh, look around and see if I can find a distributor of that. You're going to find <laughs> out that it's part of its extended universe. Yeah. And uh, there's other stuff, you know, included in the movie that's not coming to mind at the, at the time. But, uh, very cool. Very yeah. interesting details. So are you guys looking forward to uh, Alien Covenant coming out next year? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. It's I, I feel like I've been burned so many times with these kind of things, you know, in this day and age. I just don't know what to trust anymore. I mm-hmm. honestly did not like Prometheus at all. Uh, more there's like a couple of bright spots in Prometheus, but I was not a fan of it as a yeah. movie. So it's hard for me to get too excited about this, even when they – release all the the marketing and all the uh the aesthetic apparently seems to be very alien ass like yeah. 79 oh, yeah. era powder blue uh you know shirts that people are wearing like ashes uniform and things that just evoke of course that's what marketing is these days so much marketing this these days is evoking uh nostalgic imagery just to get you excited yeah. about a new movie so, do you think that Alien Covenant is kind of damage control for people who were hurt by Prometheus? I think there's a really good chance of it. Uh, yeah. I don't know, though. I haven't dug into whatever information there might be about what the story is exactly. I I remember hearing that Numi Rapaz was not going to be in it, and then suddenly she is going to be in it. I yeah. wondered if that wasn't information they were withholding sort of... To get those of us who were burned by Prometheus, they were withholding any information that would remind us of Prometheus for a while. Maybe getting us excited about, ooh, this looks like Alien. And then going, oh, by the way, Numi's in this too. Which clearly she was cast in it far before we ever heard about that. So I don't know. I do think there's a really good chance. But then again, I'm not sure with how much Ridley Scott cares about damage control. Like, you know what he I seems mean? to be the kind to... of guy who, if he wants to get a movie made, he doesn't have to ask anyone. He just rolls in and tells him when he's going to start rolling the camera, and it's the studio's uh, responsibility to make sure everybody's there. So, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, he, he says what he wants to do, first and foremost. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny that he's decided to dive so deeply back into this world, because, you know, he made Alien. It was a big deal for him, obviously. It launched his career um, into the stratosphere. And yet, if you pay attention to the interviews and the um, things over the years since, and then the business with the director's cut, um, you don't sense that he was really super excited about the movie anymore. He didn't seem to want to talk about it that much. He forgot a lot of details, things like that, you know? And so it's funny that he's come up back around on it full circle. Like, he's going headlong into these alien projects. And I don't know. I, I find it kind of interesting. I can't. You're never going to get the man's an enigma. You're never going to get inside that guy's head. So I don't know yeah. what his motivation is. But man, I would just be ecstatic if this movie were good. I, I really, really hope it's good. I just am yeah. not going to set any high expectations for it. I think that's the best way to handle it. You that's know, to go in way. with a low bar, and then even if it comes out to be kind of like you know a decent to mediocre movie, you're still probably better off than you know setting you know say, shooting for the moon. You know. Yeah. I mean, if it looks good and it's not dumb. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, so much of Prometheus just struck me as kind of dumb, like bad mm-hmm. writing moves, bad character. They didn't draw characters very well. I go on and on about it. If this one could just be solid and just be a satisfying, hey, a movie in space goes a long ways for me. So that that right there, just the setting alone. <laughs> yeah, you got you there. Solid. Yeah. I mean, it, you're, you're right. Like Alien does. It doesn't get more simple than Alien. Right. And uh, 
I mean, yeah, maybe if they just kind of go back to that, start start from yeah. from where they initially started. I, I don't know, man. Yeah, we'll see. I'm I don't have high expectations. I wasn't too hot on Prometheus either, but uh, but I'm curious, definitely curious. I, will I guess say, I, I'm, I'm the lone one out in yeah, being the one person right. who loved Prometheus, yeah. but yeah. that's okay. Across yeah. this table, there's yeah. a big divide in terms of Prometheus. There, but um, There is usually one. There's one, usually one <laughs> yeah. sitting around the table somewhere. That's what's funny about Prometheus is it's like uh, there's no in-between. It's, um, yeah, that's it. that is true. Yeah, it's, yeah. I guess, polarizing. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they take this thing. Yeah, I guess. I and then we'll see... Uh, As a writer, from a writer's perspective, you're talking about trying to make it simple, like Alien. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find I would find that very difficult to do if my task as a writer was to connect a, a dot to something like Alien. So basically, right. you're once you start uh, creating a prequel-like film, then you're asking me to get you somewhere that's already established. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost the converse of what went wrong. I talked about this on the Back to the Future Minute show. What went wrong with Back to the Future Two, in my opinion, was you had to connect a dot. You had to connect the dots back to something that you couldn't get out of. So the ending of Back to the Future Two, or Back to the Future, being this explanation of what's going on in the future, they couldn't change that, and it made for a really complex. Uh, you know, moving forward, it made it very difficult to write a coherent story. Yeah. Wherein, if you're asking me to go before Alien and get you to Alien, or at least get you to the general vicinity of the movie Alien, I feel like it's going to be really hard to be simple. You kind of have to be complex, and uh, and I don't know. I, it's one of the things about it that makes me wary. Yeah, it's, I'm really hoping that maybe in the next 10 years we kind of get rid of the idea of prequels as a storytelling device yeah. completely, because it's... It's it all. It never really interests me. It's never. I don't really feel that anything's ever satisfying. You know, it's like even if you know there was a the story of how Anakin Skywalker became Darth Vader was this tragic Shakespearean story. It's always kind of like I know where we're going, so there's not a whole lot of surprise for me there in the end. And the the best example of that I think is seeing the uh, origin of the space jockey. I would disagree completely. Yeah, but no, okay. no, I know. I know. But that's uh, it's. Um, yeah, no, but, uh, but there, there, there is a sense of mystery. I, I think yeah. I agree with you in that. If, if I didn't have to have that question answered, I liked where they went with it. You didn't, but I, if they had just left it open, it's not like I would spend the rest and of my life. That's you know? the other thing you could say to somebody like me is like, then don't go see the movie, bro. <laughs> like, you, know, you don't have to see this thing. Yeah. Well, but, I will, uh, I'll throw in my two cents about the space jockey. My absolute least favorite part of Prometheus was that they showed anything about that space. Mm. One of the greatest things about Alien to me is how incredibly mysterious that space jockey is. You have no yeah. idea what's going on yeah. there and you never do. And I love that. And you know what? I watched, I've now watched alien, you know, 70 times since I saw Prometheus, it didn't affect me. So I'm not going to yeah. damn yeah. Prometheus yeah. as ruining alien for me by any right. means. To get, to get too married to a frustration like that is oh, yeah. kind of stupid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the things you love will always be the things yeah. you love. There's nothing that can really destroy them. So, I so. never, I never look at Darth Vader when I'm watching Empire Strikes Back and say, <laughs> Oh, Hayden Christensen's in there. I never, never once. It has yeah. never once colored my view of the Star Wars original trilogy. I don't like the prequels to Star Wars, but they don't have anything to do with my love of Star Wars. So right. same yeah. goes yeah. with Prometheus and Alien. 
Yeah. So I don't know, man. But it's like Kyle was saying, this whole craze about prequels. I'm just still waiting for a prequel to Jaws where we get to see the birth of the shark, you know, because everybody wants to see that. <laughs> well, the it's shark like came a, from. A, a birds and the bees story about sharks. Like, are they <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a Discovery Channel show you could watch. Before, so we're like 12 minutes into this thing. We haven't even touched Ghostbusters. <laughs> so I want to go even more off topic. I was at the beach like a week and a half ago, and I was in the water. And I hate swimming in the ocean because I'm just, you know... A pansy, and I'm terrified. Of I can I validate the story, by the way. I saw yes. it happen. Go ahead, continue. So I get out of the water, and I'm like, oh, whatever. Go sit on the beach under my little umbrella, and here comes a uh, dark shape in the water, pretty close to the shore. There's like two or three of them, and they weren't that. It was like five feet long, and this dude is on a paddleboard with like a whistle around his neck and official looking or whatever. And I go, and he's like, you know, don't get back in. It's some sharks. We're just they're swimming right along. I'm staying over them, and I'm like. Oh man, I'm gonna go help these. I'm gonna help this guy and alert everybody. So I run down the beach a good like 60 feet and start saying, "Hey, everybody out! Everybody out! Sharks coming! Sharks coming right at you! Get out of the water!" And then the dude paddles back over to me and he's like, "Stop! Stop doing that, sir! You're causing a panic." And I was like, "You know what, dude? Like, do you think the mayor in Jaws is anything like the mayor in Ghostbusters? By the way, you know, a guy who didn't want to cause such a panic is that why he's waiting? Yeah, right. To get the full." story from William Atherton before he goes forward. Speaking of Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys are ready to get into it, we'll go ahead and jump into minute number 74 here. Now, in the previous minute, we saw Reginald Vell Johnson, and I'm pretty sure he's still playing Carl Winslow here, release the Ghostbusters from jail so that they can go see the mayor. We also see Louis Tully finally finding the gatekeeper in the corner apartment of Spook Central. At minute number 74, we see Dana Barrett, possessed by Zool, walking towards Vince Clortho possessing Lewis Tully. At 74.03, Dana goes in for a deep kiss on Lewis and even throws him backwards. At 74.19, after a very long kiss, the camera makes its way around Dana and Lewis to reveal a staircase that was hidden behind Dana's fridge. The two turn towards it and walk towards their destiny. At 74.30, we cut to a shot of the Ghostbusters being escorted to the mayor's office. Press swarm the Ghostbusters. Venkman is eating up all the attention. At 74.42, we cut to an interior shot of the mayor's office, where the mayor is meeting with the fire and police commissioners in order to assess the ghost invasion of New York City. 74.50, the mayor's aide brings in the Ghostbusters to the temporary war room. At 74.54, the mayor asks where Walter Peck is. Walter Peck walks in and introduces himself and states that he is ready to make a full report. And thus ends minute number 74. Now, this is there's a little bit of a inconsistency here because during a any sort of um, disaster in New York, the war room is actually on top of one of the two twin towers. Mm. So that's why during 9-11 there was so much chaos because their meeting place for something like that was actually destroyed when the first plane hit the tower. So you wouldn't actually see something like this happening in the mayor's office. If something like that happens, they have another place where the police commissioner, fire commissioner, everybody like that. But, you know, at this point in Ghostbusters, there's really nothing illogical that has ever happened like this before. So it also may be... Worth noting that they don't know if it's even a disaster at this point. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of spooks going around yeah, scaring I mean, people. Everyone's saying none of this is true, so maybe that is even why they're not taking it seriously. Uh, one little observation is back when we're in the apartment is one, you know, we kind of see the significance of the refrigerator. Yeah, mm-hmm. and what was behind there, and two, the only thing that is in her apartment that is seemingly not like completely blown apart is this is the chair and her that she was sitting in whenever she got the last time we saw her as Dana Barrett when she was pulled into the kitchen. And I just think it's funny, the last time we saw her as Dana Barrett, now here she is, you know, sitting in that same chair. Do you think because the chair was possessed by <laughs> terror dogs at one point, that maybe because her and the chair are the only things that were left alive? Anyway, go Let's ahead. Let's go with that. Yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, but another thing uh, in this minute that's really cool that I think is 
is important um, is how Peter Venkman is handling all the press when yeah. they're walking up to the thing. And like, at, at, you know, you could see this movie and everything and think like, oh, that's Bill Murray being funny and doing all this cute stuff and everything. And it's not. It's like a legitimate part of the story is how he is the public relations of this company. And uh, and he's just like, you know, a little cocky guy. Oh, he's eating it up. This is what he wants. Yeah, this is what he wants. all the attention from the press. Yeah. But, uh, so I always thought that was a cool touch. Yeah. Uh, John, any thoughts on minute number 74? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, this goes back to the last minute, but I was going to talk about this shot when, when Tully enters the apartment and we get this, you know, they reverse the shot to Dana in the chair with the blown out wall in the background. And yeah, you mentioned in the last minute how, you know, beautiful of a vista it is and how it correlates with the geography of New York and all that. I was going to say something about Ivan Reitman as a director here. Because this is really just one moment within a minute that I happen to be talking about that speaks to his direction throughout the film. And that's that I think one of the reasons why Ghostbusters transcends uh, your typical 80s comedy um, or even your typical 80s adventure, action adventure, sci-fi comedy, however you want to uh, place this in the genre, um, is he, he really shows some good chops as a director as far as, as composition of shots as far as finding ways to be striking cinematically. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those. When you get this little shot, it's a striking, cinematically striking shot. It's a nice shape you have where the wall's blown out. You get that vista in the background. There's deep focus there. Uh, the music uh, is good, action-adventure music. And while I would argue that the MVP of the movie is Bill Murray, Ivan Reitman's direction really balanced this movie out and I think set it apart. Yeah. It might have been pretty forgettable relatively forgettable had it just been directed by some work a day. Honestly, don't get me wrong here. Anybody, if Harold Ramis had directed this film, I don't think it would be as memorable. Harold yeah. Ramis is a great, great, well, he was a great, great comedy director, but I don't know if he had the, the, the cinema chops. I don't know if he had the chops of an action adventure director, the way Ivan Reitman at least shows us here in this film. Because, and I'll say this, I think that the Ghostbusters as a concept, it's a, it's so weird it's one of the weirdest things that ever made a big splash in Hollywood blockbuster world. Like, if you th- really think about the Ghostbusters, it's a strange thing. It's a strange concept to come forward with, put a bunch of money in and make a movie out of. And they could have easily become, it could have been silly. These guys could have looked silly, the, the, the suits, the, yeah. the packs, everything. But he really deftly shot this. And this is just a, one little example I happen to get to talk about. But in the rest of the movie, the nice hero shots you get of these guys, the way they're composed when they confront uh, Gozer at the end, all that. I think Ivan Reitman was really, he, he really put this movie over the top. I'm not sure if he ever did it again. I, you know, some of his yeah. twins or legal eagles or any, I can't, I'm trying to think of Ivan Reitman films that might've actually worked on this level. They don't. So I don't know the, the mixture of the material and the director might have been it might have been a perfect chemistry here, but um, I don't know. I just wanted to give a little shout out to Ivan Reitman. Yeah, I, I actually think you know. So we've got Dan Aykroyd as kind of the brainchild of the thing. We got Harold Ramis kind of refining it into something that works. We've got uh, Bill Murray just being the powerhouse of charisma that's going to eat up all the anything that's going on on screen. But I think we the movie that we have is thanks to Ivan Reitman. I really think this is his movie and uh, the accessibility. Like, so you say it could have been just like so goofy and weird and un um, accessible, and it all works because Ivan Reitman's insistence on putting this in the real world, making all of this believable, and just, uh, yeah, I don't know, I, I think this is his movie. I think he allows 
everyone room to breathe as far as the characters are concerned, especially Bill Murray, obviously. Let him, let Bill Murray go get the laughs. I'm going to shoot, I think Ivan Reitman was saying, I'm going to shoot the straightforward action movie here. So I'll point the camera at Bill, I'll let him do what he does, and then I'm going to make this sci-fi action adventure movie over here. And treating, treating this concept with that serious tone is what makes us all yeah. kind of get goosebumps when they put on the packs and they all the stuff that you get from like the adventure, like when Indiana Jones pulls out the whip or the lightsabers in Star Wars, all the things that give you chills, the little iconic moments in your sci-fi adventure, then carries over to Ghostbusters where it, it could have been so much more silly had it just been treated as a comedy. So I think that's part of what makes yeah. that combination of Ivan Reitman and then the cast work really it's- well. Yeah, it's a miracle that he was, you know, selected as the director because otherwise you might have gotten somebody like Harold Ramis. And again, all due respect, we might have ended up getting stripes. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, the the material is definitely important because at the, I think Harold Ramis made a perfect film in Groundhog's Day. Now, this is a completely different operation than Groundhog's Day, and you know, I think John, you're onto something there when you say Ivan Reitman is really the secret weapon here because sometimes I don't think a lot of people when they think of a film director, they just think of a guy sitting in a chair. Uh, you know, with like writing boots on, you know, like with a megaphone yelling at actors and betting ingenues. But it's really almost like a resource management type job as well. You've got a lot of spinning plates and you have to know when to have enough. You're, you're dealing with artists, first of all, which is never easy. But you're the head of the operation and the studio has a financial backing in it. They're counting on you to make sure everything works. So you have to get in there and make sure that Bill Murray has enough space to be Bill Murray. You have to make sure that Dan Aykroyd, the brains behind the whole thing, is uh, you know satisfied that his artistic expression is being you know put forth there on the screen. So yeah, to, that the fact that this movie worked at all is absolutely Ivan Reitman's uh, you know kind of taking these rough aspects and you know turning it into a diamond. So. Yeah, yeah. But the cinematography you're talking about that's very important. Uh, there's some just really awesome shots in this movie, kind of like. Uh, over the shoulder or like, you know, by the hip perspective, like action shots of like either Gozer at the end or maybe a terror dog at some point that the framing of it, it really kind of uh, was past Star Wars action framing and kind of like influenced the future as well. I, I think this movie actually kind of has a little bit of an influence on aliens as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not oh, just, yeah, yeah I think yeah. there's definitely a tie yeah. between the two. But yeah. um, he was the guy who knew that this was going to be more than just a National Lampoon's type 80s comedy. I think he knew that he had a chance here for them to make something that was going to last and imprint itself, you know, in pop culture history. And, uh, man, did, yeah. he, did he do it? It's, it's funny you bring that up because we haven't really talked a lot about Ivan Reitman on this show up until this point. We've talked a lot about Dan Aykroyd and his initial ideas for what was going to be Ghost Smashers and Ghostbusters, but Ivan Reitman's hand is almost an invisible, invisible touch on this movie, too. Because it doesn't have, like, I don't even know if there's such a thing, but it's kind of like, a you know, the Ivan Reitman touch, you know, or the um, auteur theory type thing with Ivan Reitman. He just got in there and he made sure it was a competent movie and made sure it was, everybody was working on all cylinders for what they do best. So, yeah, yeah he, big props not, out to Ivan Reitman. He's not a showy director. There's not a ton of big flourishes with the camera. There's not big, like, dolly shot push-ins or any of that kind of, um, like, f- sort of cinematic fireworks you got at, out of a lot of 80s action films. But he knows how to frame – you just got to frame these guys just right in these hero shots, and they're heroes, you know? And, yeah. And we, we are convinced of them as characters from the performances. The plot is pushed just enough on us that we're, we buy it, but not enough that we don't, which could have very easily have happened as well. 
Like, if you don't handle the plot of this movie in a deft fashion, then it could have been all shot. So I think that, yeah, his direction, his his shepherding of this film was spot on. Uh, that's a great point, John. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, do you all have anything else for this minute? I'm I, kind of spent on stuff. Yeah, man. You do? Um, we get into the mayor's office. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. we, we do. Go ahead. So, uh, yeah, we get our introduction to Mayor Lenny, um, played by David Margulies. And uh, who actually passed away this year? Nineteen. He was born in 1937 and died here in 2016. And uh, he played the mayor in Ghostbusters one and two. He was also in Ace Ventura, The Sopranos, Law and Order. And um, you just—he was one of those guys you'd always recognize. So when Peter Venkman tells him in a minute that Lenny, you could save the life of millions of voters, he wasn't lying. He got him into a second term for Ghostbusters go. two. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Uh, and also the uh, mayor's office that they're in is actually the office of Elizabeth Holtzman, who's a former member of the U.S. House of Representatives and the first New York City comptroller. And also funny that Holtzman is the name of Kate McKinnon's right? character in the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot. I wonder, because it's such a unique name. I wonder if uh, there might have been some kind there of connection there. There has to have been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's all that I've got. John, how about you? Yeah, I think that's all i got, too. Awesome. Well, John, thank you again for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate having people that are cinephiles on this show. And, you know, everybody that's been on has been a fantastic guest. But, uh, you know, we love movies, too. And we like having other people on who can actually, you know, talk about uh, movies and stuff like that. So just re- again, uh, everybody, if, if you if you like Alien, you have to check out Alien Minute. It's a fantastic show. If you like Ghostbusters Minute, you're going to love Alien Minute. Uh, but, John, t- uh, tell the listeners out there again, if you don't mind, uh, where they can find you on the Internet. Yeah, we are at alienminute.com or on uh, Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. We're also on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast. Awesome. John, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we look forward to what you guys are doing in the future. And uh, we look forward, uh, sadly, for the last uh, four weeks of Alien Minute, I guess we'll have to find something else to fill our alien void yeah. once you guys are gone. So, <laughs> Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right, Brady, you ready to get out of here? Let's do it. Great. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm throwing this one at Brady right now. Brady, we are reviewing Evolution this weekend for the Patreon episode. So I haven't told you that yet. No, so that's what we're going to do. So we got to get out of here and go watch Evolution was and do a show. You know on I was going to say no. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to hold you to it because it's No, man, I haven't, I haven't seen that since I saw it the first time. Let's definitely check it out. All right. Awesome. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you again, John Engel from Alien Minute. That's alienminute.com. Check out the podcast. It's awesome. Uh, for Brady, for Kyle, for John, and myself. Wait, Did I say myself twice? I did. Whatever. It's Friday. Let's get out of here. Death is but a door. Time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a patron of Ghostbusters Minute and gain access to exclusive weekly bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash gbminute. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at ghostbustersminute at gmail.com and visit us online at ghostbustersminute.com. Facebook.com slash Ghostbusters Minute, Twitter.com slash GB Minute, and look us up on Instagram at Ghostbusters Minute. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.